Welcome to Love Extremist Radio. Being a love extremist means committing to and choosing love as joyful activism. I'm your host, Ethan Lipsitz, self-proclaimed love extremist. Love can exist everywhere, and yet, when talking about it, we all seem to define it differently. There are many environments and individuals to whom love seems lost, or was never there to begin with. I want to engage myself, my guests, and you to confront love, get to know it as it appears in many forms, and learn from others who have love stories to share. I'll focus on three frames of love, self-love, love in partnership, and love in community. My intention is to uncover and share stories that shed light on love in new and often forgotten ways. What up, fam? It's your boy, Ethan Lipsitz here. I am sitting across from my friend Adam, who is also known as InQ, a world-renowned spoken word artist and lyricist from Santa Monica, California, all the way over on the other side of town. He uses poetry and language to tell personal and universal stories with work that has an ability to touch hearts and twist minds to see things in a new light. I am always walk away from Adam's work feeling like the buzzing sensation of inspiration that just comes when you are just around someone who's just infinitely talented and gives their gifts so freely. So I'm grateful to experience his work. He's one of the founding members of the Poetry Lounge in L.A., was a part of Deaf Poetry Jam, if you remember that, back in the first season. Uh, he's one of Oprah's Super Soul 100 and the first poet to perform with Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, yeah. Adam <laughs> is also a multi-platinum songwriter and recently hosted some of the largest poetry shows in L.A. history, gathering sold-out crowds at both the Ace Theater, I was there, and Mark Taper Forum, I was there too. Adam is currently writing his first book, so he's busy. You're, you're like writing emails but you're also writing books slash book what's One up book. dude welcome thank you man thank you for having me i've been wanting to have this conversation with you for a while because you and i often get together kind of like the seinfeld fam at like sometimes great restaurants with like mediocre vibe we had that one restaurant we went to multiple <laughs> times yeah and it was like kind of like it felt like seinfeld la style it was yeah. like the health food old school vibe and and we're always talking about love. Usually it's kind of like partnership and what you know, how what we're going through in the moments. But mm-hmm. what's what's your favorite love story? It doesn't have to be our like between us, but like what's a love story that like you love to like think of? Your own or just like a universal theme? Um I don't know. I don't know that I have one favorite love story. I, I would say the love story that I'm in right now is my favorite. Wow. Because, you know, I will say that, that you, when you fall in love, you know, you always think this is the most love that I could possibly ever feel or the most love that I could possibly ever offer. Yeah. And that's kind of based on where you are at that time. Yeah. And if for whatever reason you move on from that relationship, you know, you get your heart broken when you rebuild the pieces, you actually like have the capacity to hold more love. And then the next time you fall in love, you're like, this yeah. is the biggest love that I could ever possibly feel. Uh, that being said, I've done that cycle many, many times. And, and we've known each other long biggest, enough. 
I've know. probably seen like four at least maybe of those. Yeah, they're all like the same lesson in a different disguise, <laughs> you know. But I finally learned the lesson, so I'm happy to be where I am. So what did you learn? Uh, I wouldn't specify it. <laughs> I'm not like interested in like putting a pin in it like that, but um, you know, maybe some of the simpler ones is that you can't change other other people. You know, these are cliche things that we've heard many many times in our lives, but it's not understanding a lesson uh, that allows you to learn it; it's applying it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you know, once you apply the lesson, you can kind of let go of it. So not changing other people, right. just accepting them for who they are completely, and um, you know, loving them unconditionally and, and letting them go if it's not for you for whatever reason. I often struggle with this feeling of like accepting people as they are and then understanding whether it's my struggle or not, right? Because sometimes it's like, oh, I got to learn this lesson. Otherwise, it'll show up down the line in some mm-hmm. other form with some other person. And other times it's like, you know what? I'm out. Like, this isn't, I, I don't have. But whatever. sometimes that's the lesson is I'm out. Yeah. I mean, that could for sure be the lesson. Right. You know, and not only like being out, but how you're out, (laughs) like how you actually decide to say goodbye is sometimes the lesson. Wow. Do you find that some of the former loves that you've cultivated remain close or is love something that you find kind of like does its course, runs its course, and then you find yourself, as you said, kind of with more capacity after you've moved through that? Um, It's an interesting question because I I definitely have love for everyone that I've ever had love for, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. no matter what's happened. I definitely like can feel that love when I like focus my energy on the person and on the memory. Um, But I used to think that you almost have to take them along into the next stage into your life. And so for a long time, I like tried to remain friends with my exes on a consistent basis. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know whether I was trying to prove something to myself even that I could maintain those relationships. And at this stage in my life, I don't feel any great pressure to do that. You know, it's not like I want to do it because I want to be seen as a certain person or I want to feel like I'm that person or I want to live up to some history that I had with someone. I want to connect with people when I have the genuine desire to do so. And I find myself moving into the future rather than looking into the past at this stage of my life. Um, Time is precious. Yeah, exactly. It is. And uh, it actually, you know, to discuss time for a moment, it it really does seem like it's slowing down and speeding up simultaneously for me. Um, When I first started meditating, for example, I had that feeling in a very extreme way. Mm. Um, where, you know, you're taking these like transcendental naps, you know, twice a day. And so you feel like the day is so much longer and you can get so much more done, but you also feel like it goes by faster. And maybe the excuse for that is you're more in the present moment. And when you're in the present moment, you're not in the past or the future. You're not trying to hold on to time. And so it just kind of moves like a river. Um, but yeah, I feel like I'm a part of this bizarre never ending now as all of us are and uh and in that I just want to be where I am following my enthusiasm right so to answer your original question I do have love for everyone I have ever loved but I don't feel the need to hold on to that love or to prove that love 
Well, and to bring that into the, the, some of the teachings of meditation, being in presence, being in what is and what is now is very much an exercise and not necessarily grasping towards an uncertain future or a unforgotten past. Right. And rather acknowledging what is now. And right now you are in partnership with someone. You are also, you know, focused on like your now is actually kind of a series of things where your attention goes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And then there's like now in the micro and now in the macro, like what I'm working on and where I'm at in my life. That's now, but also just sitting here with you. I mean, there's nothing out there. (laughs) There is no there. (laughs) <laughs> There's, There's no only th- here, you know, and then once you get there, you're still here, you know, so uh, just reminding myself of that, like being able to uh, set goals and try to work towards those things without being attached to them in some way where, you know, I create uh, imaginary disappointment. Mm-hmm. Yep. So to go back to kind of like your love stories or, you know, and how I'm curious as to how that interacts and relates to your process as a poet and as a writer. Do you find that heartbreak or um, like, you know, that like the heart oriented emotions are things that really drive you to create? Yeah, I mean, there's this like theory that a lot of people have consciously and unconsciously that you need to like suffer an enormous amount to be an artist. Right. And I do think that art is alchemy. So you are supposed to take your suffering and your pain and you know put that energy towards something creative and transform it Mm. um but i also think that people recreate suffering in their lives over and over again uh, partly because they're just used to it and it's a broken record and then partly because sometimes they think that that's the only way that they'll be able to continue to create um that's not how i feel you know i've gone through enough pain in my life you know i i can always use that pain as a source to create from Right. And also there will always be other pain that happens, you know, on a random Tuesday, you know, that um, I certainly can't predict. Uh, and so I don't want to try to, like, control my pain in that way mm-hmm. um, or create my pain in that way. I could use my imagination to write from. I could use something that I'm interested in, something that makes me angry, that has nothing to do with my own life, you know, social justice stuff. Um, or just issues that kind of like stick with me. So I always try to write from a place that is moving, but moving doesn't necessarily need to be creating more pain, Mm. you know, in order to create art. Um, That being said, uh, I definitely have used a lot of my old relationships in my work, Um, you know, from uh, the good feelings of falling in love to, you know, the bad feelings of, Uh, you know, watching something that you put a lot of time and energy and care into kind of leaving and uh, just dealing and wrestling with uh, the feelings of loss, you know, you know, so, and I, and I still, I'm sure will, like I said, continue to experience that in all sorts of ways that I will be able to, to put into my art, but I don't think it's necessary to create that on my own anymore. And, you know, there's a bit of a story that, that kind of encapsulates what I just said in, in terms of specifically like romantic relationships, mm-hmm. which is that like I, I remember this is like quite a number of years ago, but I, I came home and I had just literally gone through a breakup mm-hmm. and I was like in a bad state, a 
about the whole thing. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to, you know, write my breakup poem, <laughs> you know. So I like sat down and I was like about to write my breakup poem. And then I was like, you know, maybe I should just like read through some of my old breakup poems. So I read like, I'm embarrassed to say like nine of these breakup poems that I'd written over the years, you know, some about the same relationship, but there were nine of them. And yeah. I fucking read them right in a row, right? And when I finished, I was like, wow, they're all applicable to my current breakup. Huh. You know, so then I was like, I don't need to write a new breakup poem. I need to figure out why I keep creating the same lesson in a different disguise over and over again. Right. That lesson that we were talking about. Yeah. And uh, once I realized that, it kind of changed how I wrote. And uh, it also changed how I looked at relationship. That's so interesting. It's funny when you look back at your work and you're like, oh, yeah, I was feeling this two years ago and I wrote that, you know, and these words are still relevant today. Yeah. And you see kind of like, oh, there's some stuff that I still haven't worked through, you know? Exactly. That's interesting. So uh, funny, interesting question. I was asking some friends last night. I was like, yeah, I'm going to interview InQ tomorrow. So like, what's, what do you guys want to know? And they were like, we want to hear about a time when he like was most heartbroken and out like the most out of character thing he did when he was heartbroken. <laughs> like, well, it depends on whose character you're talking about. Like yours. I have but, a lot of different characters. Fair man. Enough, I'm, fair a, enough. I'm a Gemini. <laughs> fair enough. But like something that even surprised you, you're like, oh, whoa, I must be heartbroken because I'm doing something weird right now. Like, can you think of like some behavior that like you did or something that was like, man, can't believe I did that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, I don't think I want to get into that really, but <laughs> I will say that, yeah, there's lots of shit I've done that I'm embarrassed by, man. But you it's know? not embarrassing. I think what's interesting to me is just like the the humanity of that, like what it drives us to, right? Mm-hmm. Like how heartbreak drives us to do things. And you know, I'm this this shows about love, and I also think like the I don't want to say the absence of love, but like the effects of love. And like bring out certain behaviors in us that we don't always investigate mm-hmm. or like a shadow right and well oftentimes people are talking about well you got to embrace your shadow you mm-hmm. got to get to know it you got to cultivate that so yeah i think like i i'm curious to like talk about like are there shadow things that you've worked through through with heartbreak and and you know yeah i mean definitely i think the culture and the society that we're in is very afraid of pain Mm -hmm. we're fucking terrified of pain Mm -hmm. and we do almost anything to distract ourselves from our pain Uh, some of those distractions are external and a lot of those distractions are internal we play games with ourselves to not actually face those shadows that you're talking about Mm -hmm. so when I say embarrassed I'm thinking of times in my life where I did things from a place of wanting to distract myself from taking responsibility for my own choices. Right, right. (laughs) I mean, it's not about the other person at that point. It's Mm -hmm. about taking responsibility for your own choices in life and not being a victim or blaming another person or blaming God. That, Mm -hmm. That can lead you to do a bunch of shit in reality that's really fucked up. Um. And uh, oftentimes people never really acknowledge that, but that's where they make the biggest mistakes of their lives is they do something in quotations that's out of character because they're in distraction mode or blaming mode or victimization mode. And if they weren't so afraid of their pain, and I'm talking to myself too, uh, 
then they would be able to accept it and almost allow it to move through them like rain. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I like celebrate my shadow emotions now mm-hmm. when I'm feeling them. You know, I really use it as an opportunity to release them. Mm. Uh, sometimes I'll even over exaggerate them, you know, in a safe space so that I can fully release them because I don't want them to be trapped inside of me and uh, help to continue to recreate my reality in that, you know, energy uh, frequency. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also don't want to be doing things uh, to other people, you know, because I can't take responsibility for the choices that I've made. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. I think that idea of moving, moving what we hold through us and finding spaces where we can acknowledge, write it out, speak it out, run it out, whatever it is, to to face the shadows or the things that maybe we, we don't always face mm-hmm. and work through that is such a healthy exercise and one that that we all, you know, must master in our lives. You know, the the more we're in avoidance, the longer these things fester and turn into bigger problems. Yeah. Yeah. So what how do you define love, Adam? Like what what is what is love to you? You know, so there's a, a saying, and I don't know who said it, but I know where it was said to me. Okay. And that is, uh, I like visit, I would say she's like my spiritual mom. <laughs> and you know her. I know who you're her talking about. Sylvie. <laughs> yeah, she is. She's a really, really brilliant. <laughs> Sylvie. Brilliant, brilliant person. And uh, so she said to me one day, she said. Can you do it in her accent? Or? No, I can't. I can't. <laughs> I wish I could. She, uh, she's French. She's a great, great accent, mm-hmm. you know, especially for uh, saying spiritual <laughs> advice. You know, it just lands so perfectly. Sweetie. Um, so anyway, she said to me one day, she said, you know, uh, she said, I don't know what love is, but I know what love is not. And that that was a really interesting, like, concept, you know, and she was saying that love is the absence of judgment. And that resonated with me. That's beautiful. It's very difficult to say this is what love is. But you can say what love is not. You know when you're not being loved, you know. And the universe kind of deals in those types of dichotomies. I mean, it's it's a language of riddles, Mm. you know. So um, love is the absence of judgment. And when you're really fully in love with someone and you're, like, truly intimate with them and you're truly connected with them, that part of your brain is not working. Mm-hmm. You just like fully accept them and you're feeling fully accepted. And I mean, that's that's the feeling of love. Mm. So do you, fe- do you then see methods with which you can act in love or things that you can do to stay in a loving way, whether it be in partnership or in the world? Um. Yeah, I mean, there's, like, activities like the meditation that we were talking about or, like, going to yoga or eating healthy or, you know, visiting bodywork people or, you know, all of these things that probably are are considered foo-foo, you know, to to some people are actually really helpful uh, for me. And I continue to do them because I find uh, over long periods of time there's incremental and accumulative growth. Mm -hmm. And... That, I think, also is the mistake that a lot of people make, including myself, is they expect 
there to be a key to happiness, mm-hmm. you know, that they're going to do something or find something that's going to make them happy. But happiness is incremental and accumulative growth in the right direction. And sometimes it's so incremental, you know, that you barely even notice it until mm-hmm. it accumulates. Um, so you have to have uh, trust and faith that um, doing these things that make you feel good um, are moving you in the direction of your higher self. And that higher self is being more loving in the world. Right. And so when I do things that are more loving to myself, I think that I have a clearer channel to be more loving to the people around me. So would you say that your meditation practice is like the most powerful tool that you have in your tool belt on a regular basis to like bring you into a loving way, a loving state on a daily basis without other coaches at this point. Yeah. Cause you know, there's other people, you know, Rachel, there's different people. Rachel's an amazing body work person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I is. literally should just be like a walking <laughs> advertisement for all of the people that I go to for help. Yeah. You have a good team. You know, I have a really good team. And, but I've really constructed it that way over the years. And I've also, by the way, walked out of sessions with so-called spiritual people when it right. hasn't felt aligned. Mid-session, right. I've been like, you know what, I'm cool. Because a lot of these people <laughs> are charlatans, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but when you find somebody that's really actually connected, uh, you know, you should hold on to them. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, I have like a really great group of people around me. Um, And uh, so, but I would say Emily Fletcher uh, is an amazing uh, Vedic meditation teacher. So she taught me uh, meditation and she has an amazing book out too right now. Mm. Um, But uh, now that's something that I do on my own. And I literally have done twice a day, every single day for over three years now. Yeah, you're diligent. Yeah. Um, And I've never missed one. It's, you know, I joke it's the longest relationship (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know that I've ever I said you know so it's like just funny like consistently every single day I was like I'm sure I didn't brush my teeth twice a day for three wow. years this is your I'm love sure story. I missed one of you know a night or two because I was out no so you know this was something that was that important to me to see what that incremental and accumulative growth would be over time and it still continues to let air anxiety stress out of the tire and bring me more into reality so that I can stop living in these stories and these projections and start being with people. Mm. Wow. That's incredible that you've had that, that diligence to, to be on it twice a day for three years. Like that relationship is amazing. And I commend you. Like it's dope that you've done that. And I've, I'm grateful for the times that we've sat together and shared it because that's been really cool. And I think about some pretty amazing places we were in, um, that island off the coast of Seattle together and mm. meditated, you know, and like I was that like, was man. when I started. Yeah, you were just getting into it. That's right. That was literally when I started. That's that's funny. That was like I three think, years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that was awesome. It was. So, um, I, I I think I'm 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 kind of hearing like the 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 practices that you have and some of the the people that you engage to support your practice and then learn from who really taught you how to love do you feel like there was there's a person or a story that that kind of like informed how you love i think everybody 
is informed how to love by their parents. I mean, mm. it's pretty clear if they have a relationship with their parents, even if it's an unhealthy relationship, even if it's a very negative and abusive relationship, that's what you're going to think love is. Right. So, you know, that's very interesting to start to really take ownership over that, that whatever you experienced in your household is really your definition of love and moving forward. That's why people get into relationships that remind them of their parents in some way that they could never have seen, mm -hmm. you know, when they first met their partner, you right. know. Um, but you also can either, you know, celebrate that fully or you can reject that and say, I'm going to go a different way and, and acknowledge what, what it was and create what it is. Or you can take the parts that worked for you and you can leave the parts that didn't. And, yeah. you know, kids are evolution. That's literally, I mean, I don't have kids yet, but that's why I want to have kids because I want to be a part of evolution, you know, and not only human evolution, just the evolution of life in general for on sure. the planet. I mean, it's, it, it's really deep. So, um, you know, we certainly have so much to learn from our elders and from our parents. Um, but I also think that uh, every generation is going to continue to evolve life as we know it. And part of that is taking what works and leaving what doesn't and continuing to move on in every area, mm -hmm. you know, in from your DNA that you unconsciously can't think about to your behaviors, mm -hmm. you know, in the world. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's so much that I learned from my upbringing in terms of how to love and uh, and I'm still learning, you know. Are there things, you know, I know you grew up with as a single mom. Are there things from your mom that you want to carry on into the future? You talk about kind of like bringing up, you know, maybe having a family of your own sometime and like mm -hmm. certain traditions of love that you learned as a kid that, you look upon fondly and say like yeah like that was really powerful for me yeah I mean my mom is a very very uh intelligent woman she was a school teacher she was in the Peace Corps she's you know very consciously traveled all around the world mm. you know uh we didn't grow up with money and she always would save her money and create these experiences for us and for herself yeah you know and that was always something that I really respected and I think that I've carried on for myself uh, she's also a very curious person mm. and so she asked people uh, genuine questions about their life she's really like wanting to know who people are beyond like these superficial kind of surface uh, mm. layers she and questions everything. She does. She does. She's my original brand. <laughs> so uh, so that I very, very much uh, respect. And she just has a really good heart, my mom. My mom really wants the best for everyone around her. Mm. And um, that's something that I really, you know, try to apply to my life with various degrees of success and failure. <laughs> I think you do a pretty good job. Thank you. I, it's dope to hear you speak about that. And speak about the things that you really cherish. And I see you carrying that on within your own life. You're the way that you love to travel and explore and your curiosities. And and I really, uh, as your friend, it's nice to hear that from you because we don't often talk about that. Yeah. You know? And and the things that you've gained from her. And that's, that's dope. 
I'd love to talk a little bit about like now, like starting to get into kind of more macro stuff. So like we were kind of focused on like self-love and, and personal work and also relationships. But mm-hmm. as a poet, you have shared your work with millions of people and a songwriter as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like your work has affected literally millions of people in a deeply emotional way. And I see that as a form of activism and also a, a very loving practice. Like to me, art is a Trojan horse that delivers love. It is an alchemist, right? It is like the toolkit with which we can engage in truth and in real emotion. Mm-hmm. How do you see your work as an activist? Like how, how, how do you see poetry as a form of um, shifting culture? Well, I mean, I, I came up in the Poetry Lounge, uh, which is uh, still something that takes place every Tuesday night at the Greenway Court Theater um, with an incredible, incredible community of poets and uh, artists and performers. And um, a lot of the stuff that was shared was uh, social justice mm-hmm. and uh you know, people trying to look at the problems that are in their communities and express them on that stage. And, you know, so not only did I grow up with my mom being uh, kind of a very liberal, uh, open-minded supporter of social justice, but then I think I wound up cutting my teeth in these college years of whatever, you know, it was my artistic, poetic college, basically. Right. You know. Uh, with all of these people that really inspired and challenged me with their messages. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was always interested in uh, exploring the things that uh, certainly inspired me, but also pissed me off, right? you know, in in my art. And now I think that we all have a responsibility to use our voices. I think this is a really, really interesting time to be alive. I wouldn't want to be alive at any other time. I feel like we have, you know, a front row seat to all of it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we should only be watching. I think we should be involved and mm-hmm. make sure that we're on the right side of history. There's a lot of fucking really crazy things going on right now. And all of us have a responsibility to use our voices to make sure that we're being heard in whatever way we can. Mm. Um, and so, that's all I'm really trying to do is, uh, you know, take things that bother me, take things that I see that are problems, um, you know, take observations or philosophies and try to put them into art to give other people not only a voice that they don't feel like they have, but to inspire them to use the voice that they do have to uh, be on the right side of history. So if you're listening, just if you go onto the internet, perhaps you've heard of this this World Wide Web, and you search for IN-Q, the letters, IN-Q, you will see in Q's work, Adam's work. And it's just tons of videos of, of him performing live, and there's some animated work, and there's some kind of different types of videographic works that share his poetry and his, and his incredible art. And there's just what he's speaking of is very visible online. I encourage you to check it out and to see this work. My, I guess a question I have for you is, have you seen certain works shift into conversations or push conversations forward in a meaningful way that's gone beyond kind of 
um, just the work itself, right? Like the like re- like reverberations after the po- like the poem is dropped. Yeah, I think. Look, my, my highest compliment, you know, for me to hear as an artist is when someone comes up to me and they tell me that uh, they changed something in reality, right? Based on hearing a message in my art. So it's it's amazing when anybody is moved, you know, has a thought or they feel something in their heart. But if they're actually doing something in the world that's positive, that's the highest compliment. And, you know, I've received countless uh, individual emails and also emails from people telling me, you know, that they played this video at this fundraiser and everyone was in tears and it raised X amount of money or, you know, um, you know, I just ended up doing something for uh, Green Dot, which is charter schools in Los Angeles the other day. And they had a uh, it was basically like a writing competition for all of their kids. Cool. And so I got a chance to like open up and um, talk to them about my experience as a poet. And actually, like, for example, my first experience doing poetry, I was uh, I think I was 14 or 15. I mean, I was into hip hop and I was rapping and freestyling and doing all that stuff. But I got a chance to go to the UCLA Young Writers Retreat, um, which was like they basically like found high school kids all around Los Angeles. Cool. And uh, you could apply to get in or something like that. And I got in and they had a place in uh, Lake Arrowhead. Mm-hmm. And so all of these kids, like 100 kids from around Los Angeles came and they got a chance to like actually like write poetry and perform. And they had a poet, I think his name was Jack Grapes. I'm pretty sure it's Jack Grapes. Uh, I know Jack Grapes is an incredible poet, but I'm almost 100% sure that, that he was the guest speaker. Wow. And great, I, great last name, too. Grapes. Yeah. Of wrath. Grape, grape last name. <laughs> so, all right. So, so I see him, and I just remember being like, oh, wow, I didn't even know you could do that. Mm. Like, I didn't even know you could be a poet for a living. That's interesting. Yeah. And I remember actually having that thought. And then many, many years later, I mean, 20 years later, 15 years later, uh, the UCLA Young Writers Retreat called me, but they called in queue. And they were like, we would love to have you come and be the guest speaker for the weekend. It's giving me chills. And I was like, that's amazing. I said, you know, I went there. And they were like, what are you talking about? And I said, I was a student, you know. And so even being with these Green Dot kids, I kind of shared that story with them. and, And I just said, you know, you can do this. You know, and then I got a chance to to watch them get up and perform. And there's a lot of obstacles in in life, you know, everywhere you look. But the obstacles can be opportunities if you just kind of continue to push through. And uh, so, you know, my hope is that in sharing that day that somebody will do something in reality, that they'll write more, that they'll, you know, go out and share more, that they'll write about the things that are important to them. That's the highest compliment, and I hope that the videos are doing the same thing. Yeah, that's such an amazing story, dude. Thank Thanks. you for sharing that story. That's amazing. So one thing that I didn't mention is also, like, you do workshops, and if you're fortunate enough to be in one of NQ's workshops, like, you'll write a poem, and you'll often perform it in front of a group. And do you find that that work to be... Um, like what's the, what's the impact that you feel when, when you're doing that work? Cause I know you love doing it and, and you always kind of come away with these, these like awakenings almost from, from d- being that guide 
and, and supporting others and empowering others to find their voice and, and to write. But where do you see that kind of playing in, in the activism world as, as kind of being a, a workshop leader? Well, that's the, the Gandhi quote of be the change that you want to see in the world. Mm. You know, if you want to change the world, change yourself. You right. know, And so that's an individual by individual basis, me included. And so it's an honor to facilitate those things because I'm facilitating uh, people being vulnerable from a place of strength and uh, using the art form for their own alchemy when they never even thought they were poets in the first place or mm -hmm. never even knew how much ownership these stories still had over them. Mm -hmm. And to release them and create an environment that's celebratory is to our conversation at the beginning, you know, actually allowing people to face their shadows mm. and to celebrate them and to do it publicly, you know, because what we do is, you know, we get people up at a certain point and, you know, I ask the audience to look at them like they love them and they knew them their whole entire life and they're as invested in them telling this story or more invested than the person who's actually speaking. Mm -hmm. and to over-exaggerate their enthusiasm. So now you have people who feel like they're a fucking rock star for saying some of the scariest, most vulnerable stories that they've ever had. And there is a real release that comes from that. Yeah, you know, that's powerful work. Yeah, emotional and otherwise. So um, personal activism can be social activism as well. But, you know, uh, I also think I want to put my attention on both. Yeah. It's interesting because I know you do this at meditation spaces and studios and different environments across the country, but you also do it in corporate environments and like mm -hmm. conference, kind of corporate conference vibes sometimes. Yeah. And to me, it's really fascinating because I often associate that with kind of a very traditional um, business minded, maybe one, some might say patriarchal or just hierarchical framework. Mm -hmm. And yet, the practice of engaging everybody in poetry and doing the self-discovery practice and, and being very vulnerable and open with a group is kind of the opposite of that. So do you often find that you're bringing an energy to an event or to a, a, a corporation that they may nev never have really engaged with or it's kind of like a, a, a breath of air? Yeah, I don't think that most people expect to go as deep as mm -hmm. they do. Yeah. And by most people, I mean everyone. <laughs> I mean, really, like it's a real um, awakening, you know, for everyone who's there. And I, I, I think that that's kind of similar, though, to most environments, you know, whether it was a juvenile facility place or or okay. whether it is a, you know, a yoga studio. Right. You know, it's it's, you know, maybe at the yoga studio, people are coming and they're trying to be more open, but I still think that they're surprised by where it goes because it's hard to predict that. And um, at, at the juvenile place, I, I think that the kids are just kind of coming in suspicious oftentimes, and my job is then to open them up to the possibility of being in a new moment with each other mm. um, and to get into these stories. And I have to lead by example in order to do that. I can't tell anyone to do that. I, I have to show them. And if I'm willing to do that, then people will be willing to follow. Um, I think people respect authenticity and uh, vulnerability if it is done from a place of strength. Yeah. 
And that, dude, that is to me like the epitome of love activism, really. It's like getting people into their authentic self, their truth, and speaking from their truth. And I see you, I see our our mutual friend Daniel Johnson, Mm -hmm. right? Like as being um, these wizards that are able to capture the essence of someone's truth. Mm -hmm. Whether, you know, he's a photographer, so he shoots us and just somehow pulls our souls out and Mm. shows it through the camera. And it's like, I don't know how he does it, but every Mm. time he gets it. And similarly, so I think with your work in the, in the workshop frame and also in your work as, as a poet as well, there's this like sense of just pulling out the soul and, and really bringing that to bear, whether it be someone sharing their work and being inspired by what you're doing or just feeling it in a moment and getting in a whole crowd you know, giving each other back rubs and high fives and, and just kind of getting loose and, and feeling the work. Yeah. Well, Daniel is one of my favorite photographers. Mine too. Not only, you know, that I've ever worked with, but that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just the breadth of his work is really astounding. And uh, the depth and authenticity that he's able to capture in that frame and also his creativity. I mean, yeah. just like he always, you're never going to look at the same photograph of Dan twice right you know even if it's the same shot which it never is Mm -hmm. it's still vastly different you know so uh so it's cool that that you know you would put us into the same category in that way um just came to me now but I see like the the commonality there yeah I mean I'm trying to express my soul in the poems Mm -hmm. uh that's my my job, I think, is to be a vehicle for whatever the poem wants to say. Mm-hmm. And actually, part of that incremental and accumulative growth that we're talking about is not only to know myself enough to show up fully, but it's also to know myself enough to step out of the way so that the messages can kind of move through me without you know, my validation and my ego and whatever else I still have that you know, kind of... Uh, can act as like barriers to connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like I'll talk about when I'm writing poetry, for example, like sometimes I'll write something that's really dope, but it's not right. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning how to be more sensitive to that, to like really look and say like, all right, well, this is dope, but is it right? Is it what the poem wants to say? Mm. You know, is it the fastest way to say what the poem wants to say, or is it just me kind of showing off you know, of the 30,000 hours I've done over my career. Oh, really? Like, is that what you want to, you want to do that? Right. Or do you want to say what, what the poem wants to say? So it's like kind of being sensitive to that. And then to your point of like massages and stuff like that, I mean, you know, it's it's funny and, and it's kind of ridiculous, but there's even a, a philosophy behind that. I mean, it, you're walking into an audience that doesn't know each other. Right. And you're trying to create basically like, immediate intimacy Mm -hmm. well how do you do that well you have to like share something that's intimate yourself in a way that they respect and are willing to uh, open up to Um, but you know it's also cool when you have everybody massage each other or you get them up using their bodies they're immediately out of their comfort zone Mm. Um, and then when everyone's touching in this like massage train which of course yeah it sounds ridiculous but you actually have an energetic web in the room yeah everyone's touching think about that everyone's right. touching each other at the same exact time then when they release they're not these little islands anymore that's true they're 
they went from a bunch of individuals to a group of people very, very quickly. So people laugh at it, and it's fun because, you know, I get to get them doing something that they wouldn't normally do. But also when they sit down, they're unconsciously bonded right. in a way that actually allows them to be more open for whatever it is that I'm going to share. Right. Um, so, you know, it's not all by accident. Nah. Yeah. You also are using humor a lot in your performances, at least lately the ones that I've seen. Like you, you share little anecdotes and kind of bring up stories. I wouldn't say it's like stand up, but it's, you know, you're kind of joking with the crowd and getting a rise out of them. And is that also in- intentional? Is that something that you're thinking about and kind of wanting to loosen folks up? Or Yes, definitely tension release. Um, I definitely don't think I'm a stand up. I have too much respect for stand up to call myself a stand up. It's funny, my manager and like other flow. people, you know, uh, Kevin many times has been like, oh, you know, you, we could get you at the comedy store <laughs> or something. And I'm like, no, man, like these people are too good. Ben Glee, Brahmi, these uh, are really, yeah. you know, all of the, all of the amazing, amazing comics that are out there. I don't consider myself a comedian, but I like to talk shit. Well, you know, you, and you and, have some funny poems too. Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they're funny to me. They're, you know? they're funny. To, they're funny to me too. Yeah. So anyway, I think it's a it's another tool in the toolbox to use for sure, for sure. I was thinking about just going back. There's a conversation I've been having a lot with people, and you were talking about refining the instrument and um, kind of how you 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 know you're you're clarifying and and doing this work that. Through meditation and other practices, just clarifying yourself as a vessel and acknowledging when the ego is kind of in control versus just you're a vessel through which the work can flow and kind of balancing between the two. And for some reason, that brings me to start, you know, to to, to bring up some of the artists that have most recently been um, called out for bad behavior in our society. Mm. And you know, whether it's Bill Cosby or R. Kelly or Michael Jackson or whomever it is, um, there's a lot of conversation around their work and what to do with their work because their work stands alone and has for years as oftentimes incredible work. The work of Michael Jackson is indisputable. Mm. And yet the human, the ego, you know, the behavior of that artist wasn't always... Uh, okay you know it was often not okay mm-hmm. and so just balancing that i'm curious to hear your thoughts like how do you um separate the work and the and the individual or do you well i mean i don't listen to r kelly okay you know uh i don't watch the bill cosby show anymore okay um, yeah, and I think, I mean, there's a difference between also bad behavior and, like, assault, you know? Like... Fair enough. Uh, a lot of these people have been, you know, Weinstein. This is fucking assault, man. Like, you know, it's it's rape. It's, it's consistent mm-hmm. over years and years. And uh, I don't want to support those people anymore. Word. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I think it's a it's an interesting challenge when, you know, Michael Jackson comes on the radio, you hear it and you're like, "Oh, like what is that now?" Now that we're, it's so clear what Yeah, what I mean, I, I haven't I haven't seen the documentary yet, mm-hmm. so I can't I can't really comment on it. 
Um, but I mean, yeah, man. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's time for all this stuff to come out yep. and it's time for us to have a convert, the, the difficult conversations, uh, together right. as, as a culture yeah. and as a society to say what's acceptable and what's appropriate. And I think oftentimes when we get in these types of tipping points, um, the pendulum will swing to the other side. And mm-hmm. I think it should almost in order to have that immediate change that needs to be had. And then I think oftentimes people are able to find more subtlety. Uh, right now, I don't think people are really dealing in subtlety. It's everything no. is either black and white in every area. Not uh, not to quote Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to just let that lie. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think you're on point. It is a time of dramatic transition and change. And cancellation, you know, is happening. You know, there is cancellation occurring. And uh, people have different perspectives on that. But it's it's interesting to to see how, um, as artists, there's incredible power and incredible love to give to the world. And so many would say, you know, someone like Michael Jackson has and continues to give love through his work. And also, you know, in, in a personal basis, that wasn't there. And, and that's, there's a lot to investigate there. And so it's, it's an Yeah, I mean, I also think, I mean, if you look at criminal justice stuff, we're, we're starting to talk a lot about the idea of forgiveness. Right. And how we're treating people who have uh, done things that are wrong. Now, that's different from people who have... Uh, been unfairly uh, convicted of something that they didn't do. Right. Or, for example, convicted of something that now people are making an enormous amount of money on, legalized <laughs> yeah. marijuana, right. where people are still fucking in jail right now for the same exact thing, and, and corporations are now making an enormous amount of money. Right. It should be a requirement for people who are going into the marijuana business, in my opinion, to pay lawyer fees for people who are still trapped in the in the system, mm-hmm. or you know, jobs programs for them getting out, yep. um, and you know, the tax money should go to criminal justice reform and education, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think forgiveness is something that lies in subtlety, mm. and that's why I was saying, you know, everything is very extreme right now, which sometimes has to happen for there to be real change. But hopefully, we'll be able to come back to subtlety and be able to look at each thing kind of like on an individual basis and not allow the things that we've gone through to project onto this particular situation as a society so we can find the best practices for moving forward in a way that protects all of us right well before we started i wanted to we spoke about you sharing one of your works and i i really appreciate where this conversation has gone because speaking about the activism piece of your work is really important and also speaking on these issues and how you know you've taken on prison reform you've taken on a lot of the like dealing outside of the subtlety and in just the black or whiteness of things and i i'd love for you to share a work whatever whatever calls you but something that kind of resonates with love extremism and 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 you know kind of I think like this conversation has illuminated a lot. So 
Is there anything that's coming up for you through this conversation that, that you think you, you'd like to share? Sure. I wish it didn't take a disaster to bring us together. I wish it didn't take an earthquake or hurricane weather. I wish it didn't take a tragedy for us to just be better to each other, to have respect and care for one another, to look out for our sisters and our brothers, for our fathers and our mothers, no matter their religion or their colors, no matter their political opinions or the gender of their lovers, there's nothing that the human story doesn't cover. But usually we judge a book by its cover. We skip the content as if we know what we'll discover, then use our certainty as an excuse to blame each other. We shame each other as if we're not the same each other. Yet when disaster strikes, we all unite to put aside our pride and do what's right. We'd sacrifice our lives to do what's right because it's right. In spite of everything that came before, the very people that we used to fight, now we fight for. And it makes me wonder if that's human nature at its core. We want to help our neighbors, we just don't know who they are. We want to help our neighbors, we just don't know where they are. I watch you kicking down the door, facing danger for a stranger, while I donate from afar, wishing that I could do more, wishing we could show the type of generosity we do in a catastrophe except before. Like on the Congress floor, Shouldn't we feed the poor or offer benefits for soldiers coming back from war, provide health care for those of us that can't afford it, or higher education for the next generation without credit card extortion? Why can't we all agree that black lives matter, that there aren't fine people that are screaming white power, and that all lives matter was a narcissistic trend where white people made black lives matter about them? Shouldn't cops stop shooting unarmed black men? Shouldn't women earn the same exact amount as men? Aren't we all Americans? Aren't we all immigrants? Our values should be so much more important than our differences. Our values is what gives us our significance. We only changed the world because we started out in innocence, an adolescent country unburdened by experience, just naive enough that we could take ourselves serious, just naive enough that we could heed freedom's call, but now instead of building bridges, we're resorting to a wall. Aren't we all for one? Aren't we one for all? Why does it have to take a tragedy for us to stand tall when our capacity to give loves beyond measure? I wish it didn't take a disaster to bring us together. It shouldn't have to take a disaster to bring us together. It doesn't have to take a disaster to bring us together. Wow. Well... There's some chills right there. Thank you. That was incredible. I love that piece, and I love that message. It's true. It's like, for me, going through the health journey I've been going through mm. over the last few years, it's almost like it took that disaster in my body mm. to focus me on love and to focus me more on purpose and art and work on giving as much as I can of myself and, and this work, but also continuing to refine like what you do. Mm -hmm. And I'm 
so inspired by that message and also by by the work that you do so thank you man yeah, yeah. the the disaster can be the wake-up call right but it doesn't have to be something that continues to come for us to answer you know either personally or collectively and it's 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 this it's this frustrating thing about human nature right it's like do we need that disaster or how do we get there beforehand how do we right. get there before the earth collapses and we no longer have an earth right like what do we need? Do we need to make VR tools so we can experience it as if it's the case? And then we go back to real life. We're like, oh, my gosh, we actually still have trees. Let's enjoy this world, you know? And, and Well, that, I mean, look, we're, we're sitting in a studio right now. Yeah. I mean, oftentimes I look around and I'm like, I don't have any idea how people made this shit. You know, <laughs> like it's really yeah. unbelievable. And, and what it really comes down to. I mean, there's a lot of things that it comes down to, but one of the things it comes down to is, is language, is our ability to pass on our knowledge and our wisdom and our stories to other people. So, you know, hopefully if we've experienced those disasters, which brings us back to art, we can share those things as kind of warning signs for other people. And then they can make those changes on their own or decide to make those changes in society. Um, yeah. You know, and I'm 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 still looking for those signs from other artists as well, you know, to avert the future disasters that I have coming that, that I can't see, you know, that are in my blind side. Inspire before we expire. Boom. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> so where do the people find you, Adam? Where 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 can we go to catch all of your wisdom? What's the, what's the spot? Where do you want to send folks who are listening? Yeah, if you want to learn about workshops, we have a workshop uh, April 7th, I think, at the Den Meditation. Yeah. Um, and then we have an East Coast tour coming up and uh, a retreat in Bali in August. So you can go to in-q.com for all of that information, you know, other events, uh, new videos. And then if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's at in Q life, just one I N Q life at in Q life. Yeah, definitely do that. And to take us out, what is your favorite love song? doesn't have to be forever, but in this moment, you know, what's funny is, uh, I know exactly the song and I didn't look at your questions beforehand. And usually when someone asks me a specific question like that, yeah, it takes me a second. Yeah. But I 100% redemption song. Redemption. Mm. Wow. Can you just say why? Uh, first of all, I think that the, the story of it is interesting. Bob Marley, like, turned in the album. And then uh, Chris Blackwell was like, you know, you need one more song. And Bob was like, okay. And he just went back and he wrote redemption song. And... Uh, so first of all, I just think that's interesting that that was, you know, he, he made this legendary album. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's my favorite artist that's, you know, not with us anymore. Um, and so he made this legendary album. And then the final song that might be one of his most famous songs ever and is certainly my favorite song yep. uh, was something that he just was almost an afterthought, you know, and it's almost without any of the pressure of making an album or 
making a statement, he just said, oh, yeah, one more thing. And it just happens to be uh, just a song that basically encapsulates, for me, the human experience. Mm. I also think redemption is a, a concept that always gets me emotional because it's about sacrificing for love, you know? And mm. to me, like, you know, redemption in a movie, when someone comes back after all of that and is still willing to put their heart on the line for something they believe in or for someone that they love, that always winds up moving me, you know? And, and then the lyrics mm. on this song are just, you know, they're, they're really, they're mind blowing in uh, how deep they are and also how simple they are, which is, you know, the best possible compliment I could give to a lyricist is making something really, really deep, really simple so somebody yeah. can walk away with it. Yes, absolutely. Wow. All right, well, we'll take it out with Redemption Song, Bob Marley. Thank you, NQ, Much Adam, love. for being here. It's awesome to have this conversation with you. Uh, this has been Love Extremist Radio. I'm Ethan Lipsitz, your host, at Ethan, L-I-P-S-I-T-Z, on Instagram. And please follow along, share it with your friends, give us a nice rating on all the podcast platforms you use, and maybe make a comment. Love you very much, and see you at the next one. Peace. Peace. Merchant ships Minutes after they took I From the bottomless pit But my hand was made strong By the end of the Almighty We forward in this generation Triumphantly won't you help to sing these songs of freedom cause all i ever have redemption songs redemption songs emancipate yourselves from mental slavery none but ourselves can free our mind have no fear for atomic energy Cause none of them can stop the time How long shall they kill our prophets While we stand aside and look Some say it's just a part of it We've got to fulfill the book Won't you help to sing these songs of freedom Cause all I ever have Redemption songs Redemption songs Redemption songs Redemption songs, 
emancipate yourselves from mental slavery None but ourselves can free our mind Oh, have no fear for atomic energy Cause none of them can stop at the time How long shall they kill our prophets While we stand aside and look Yes, some say it's just a part of it We've got to fulfill the book Won't you hate to sing These songs of freedom Cause all I ever had Redemption songs All I ever had Redemption songs These songs of freedom Songs of freedom <laughs>